Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, episode number 22. It's January 29th, 2018. This is Tom coming to you from the Outpost in the nation's capital, and joining me is Nick from our Southern Outpost in Houston. Uh, recapping, lamenting more, the uh, Steelers' 13-3 season, wonderful season, finishing first in the ASC North, but losing, unfortunately, in the divisional round of the playoffs to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Nick, uh, we had a game this past weekend. We did. It. We did. It really was a Steelers game, wasn't it? The Pro Bowl. I didn't get to watch it live, but I watched it on Game Pass this morning, and it's the toughest to watch of the of the All Star games. I don't know. I guess the NBA one. People think it's fun too, but the lack of defense and that makes it a little bit boring. Basically, I support the decisions of the referees in this game. If you watch it. They basically are playing uh, wrap-up rules. Like you used to play in the playground when the teachers used to tell you to stop tackling each other because people's noses are being broken and feelings are being hurt. They'll, you can do wrap-up. So you go there, you got to wrap the dude up. It's pretty self-explanatory, right? So if they stood a running back up, they would basically blow the whistle, which I had no problem with at all because that was Le'Veon Bell <laughs> and some other guys. So uh, there was a dramatic like, comeback. The Killer Bees, they played that crap. <laughs> they didn't. Really, even get barely over 60 total yards. Ben was barely at 50%, and a little miscommunication with AB that got returned for a touchdown. So, not a, not an awesome showing on the field, but it looks like it was a fun week for the guys. It, it's just insane to see the AFC Pro Bowl offense come out with seven Steelers out there. Crazy. It really makes you feel like you should have won the Super Bowl, but. We'll, we'll continue lamenting this for a while, I pr- and then I promise we'll, we'll turn over a new leaf for you guys because there's, there's a lot of stuff to be happy about uh, from the season. We're going to break down some of that, the Steelers' performance from the year. We're going to do some like final grades, and we're going to break down some of our own performance, if you will. But first, let's talk about the league leaders. The Steelers had a number of players in the top echelon of the NFL over the past year. Let's start with Le'Veon, and we did focus on him last week, yep. uh, the most obvious is the, the number of touches. He had most rushing attempts at 321, most touches at 406. We had a discussion last week about his durability and his value to the Steelers next year. Right, so apparently a report came out earlier today or early, earlier this week where Schefter basically doubled back on what he said about the, the, the Steelers apparently being way farther along in their contract talks with Le'Veon. He said, actually, never mind. There are nowhere in the contract talks. So apparently you're just allowed to report anything you want these days. But nonetheless, Le'Veon has still been giving the impression during the Pro Bowl that the Steelers have made progress in that. 
we do not know. There's no way to know that. Once again, they offered him a certain amount last year. I don't know how much that's going to change. But Le'Veon, great year. Like we said, not very efficient, but it was effective for sure. What about A.B.? Fake news. A.B. A.B. is the jewel of the Nile, the shining star on the hill. He has the most receiving yards, 1523, most yards per touch at 14, and 109.5 receiving yards per game. Awesome year. You and I did a little retrospective on his previous seasons to ascertain how he did compared to previous performances. Well, let's get back. Let's get into that with the final grades because that's kind of a good way to look at how accurate we were in our grading. But yeah, AB leads the league in receiving yards while while missing the last three games. So what could have been, I mean, even in that Jaguars game, he said during the Pro Bowl that he just didn't feel the same burst during the Jags game. He wasn't totally healthy. It's like, man, the guy wasn't feeling the burst against an all-pro cornerback that he torched for almost 150 and two touchdowns. I mean, he's a freak well, of nature. Say, he's the crown jewel of Pittsburgh. He just uh, achieved this with one hand behind his back. That's what he does. It gets boring after a certain while. I mean, he showed that against the Titans with that one-hand catch against the helmet, didn't he? And finally, uh, we needed two players for this statistic. Ben had the longest pass of the season, 97 yards, against the Lions, caught by Juju Smith-Schuster. Yeah. Juju, the runaway train, Smith, Schuster. I really think that was a play that actually turned around the season. If you look at it until then, the offense was, uh, speaking of trains, a bit of a train wreck. Nailed it. Uh, Earlier in the season, the game before that was against the Colts when they required that last second, one of uh, a few last second miracles during the season to turn it around. They played like absolute dog crap in the first half. And then the offense turned it on kind of for the first time all year in the second half of the Colts game. And then they went and they played the Lions, and it was kind of touch and go. The game, uh, they couldn't really put it out of reach, and then they hit the 97-yarder to Juju. We were all shocked that Juju was able to bob and weave his way away from those guys. And after that, the Steelers' offense turned into the best offense in the league, pretty much. And you can really look back at that play and see that's kind of where it started. So a bunch of league leaders for the Steelers. Um, let's let's not say that it's worthless because <laughs> it feels like that right now. What a great opportunity we had with the lack of competition in the AFC and with just how hard that offense was hitting on all cylinders with all the players. But, man, I mean, you just got to feel lucky that we get to watch them. It's more interesting than watching the Eagles or the Patriots all year, I tell you that much. Let's move into the final grades. And the way we handle this is to take an average of all the grades we assigned per game came up with the result. And what we're going to do is we're going to see how well that lines up with our impression of the body of work for the year. That sound good, everybody? Yeah, that sounds great. Let's begin. So we're going to go into the offensive grades. The offense averaged a B-plus for the year. So I think as many of you guys can guess, this is because of the beginning of the year. And just there are a few themes by the time we played the Jacksonville Jaguars in the playoffs, this offense was probably at the height of its powers, maybe ever. I mean, to put 42 points against that defense, that's a great defense they played against. Some people argue it's an all-timer or not, but I don't care. To do what the Steelers did with the talent, especially since the drive, like, it was just Steelers' talent that finally all came together and scored all those touchdowns. They were insane throws and insane catches, and it really just showed you, like, 
the Steelers just have better players. It's just Golden State Warriors out there playing out there. They really kind of reached their potential at the end of last se- end of the season, and let's hope that's where they start next year because the beginning of this year, like we were just saying, it was a train wreck. They couldn't score against the Browns. They lost games earlier to the Jaguars and to the to the Bears. Just couldn't score and, and made a lot of games way closer than they needed to be. And that's kind of what averaged them out to a B plus. So I think it is important to notice that like the Steelers did when they won the Super Bowl, uh, both other times with Ben, like the Giants did when they won the Super Bowl, and maybe even like what the Eagles are about to do and what the Falcons almost did last year, it's about getting hot at the, and healthy at the right time, which is right before the playoffs. So I would say this offense at the end of the season – it was closer to an A plus than a B plus, but if you average out everything they did over the course of the year, that slow start knocks them down a little bit. So focusing on a, a couple of key statistics on the third down, third down conversions, the Steelers converted 92 of 209 opportunities for a 44% conversion rate, good enough to place them second in the league. Which is and incredible see, because I don't know what the yeah I don't know what those stats were. Sorry to interrupt you earlier in the year, but that was. One of our themes. Go back and listen to all the episodes. I know that you want to. It was we'll wait for you. And when they, you know what, actually, we'll take a break right here. Actually, you can just pause this, I guess. It'll be different for you. For us, it's real time. The third down conversions turning around, I mean, it was it was a huge turnaround. It was amazing what they did. And that's kind of when the offense started hitting on all cylinders. And it's always a crucial element of every offense's third down conversion. So it's amazing they worked their way back up to second. But there is another statistic that really determines the success of an offense well we've been harping on the red zone all all um all all summer all season interestingly we had the third most red zone attempts at 63 the fifth most scores at 32 but at 51 percent, we ranked 22nd in the league in red zone attempts and that's probably one of the big reasons besides the riff with ben roethlisberger that todd haley's gone uh, he had a couple good years in the red zone, um, maybe three years ago. They were okay last year. But overall, the struggles in the red zone uh, really did this team in, in a lot of ways. And I'm not saying that it's all on Todd Haley. He certainly has something to do with it. We talk about how cute he gets there. But as much as I hate to say it, you probably got to put a little bit of it on Ben as well because there's a common denominator there and, and, and really the offense as a whole. But let's hope that Mr. Feetner, Feetner, does a better job with that red zone because that is that is atrocious. I mean, to have the third most red zone attempts, it's like they have no problem getting there, but they just can't punch the ball in. When a team like the Jaguars, predictable as hell and untalented, they, they can push the ball in. So let's hope we see that improve next year. Moving on to the big man himself, Ben Roethlisberger. Ah, ah, yeah, yeah. So quick recap. Fourth most completions of all quarterbacks throwing over 100 times, 360. Uh, fifth ranked in yardage, 4,200 yards. Fifth in, the, fifth in touchdowns with 28. And fourth most interceptions with 14. Yeah, the Jaguars game really did him in. It skewed the statistics for the whole season, right? Um, I think he was at 64% com- uh, completion percent, which is his completion percent for his career. So, Ben, with the super slow start, I don't know if we'll ever know why that happened. But, man, by the end of the year, you know, especially with Carson Wentz getting injured with the way he was playing, I think it's hard to argue. I mean, it's very easy for me to argue 
Ben was probably the best quarterback in all of football over the second half of the year. And even pro football focus will notice, will note that he was averaging about 328 or 348 yards per game and three touchdowns. And he was not turning the ball over. Granted, that Jacksonville playoff game had had some difficulties with the turnovers, but man, the touchdowns were way up there. So he really turned his game around. The the big story for him of the whole year was the beginning of the year. He had those deep ball issues. And like I said, that throws you out. That's 50 more yards a game that you're used to Ben Roethlisberger having. This isn't Drew Brees surgically picking it apart of defense. Ben, the big ball is an inherent part of his game. And eventually they were able to turn that on and he turned the season around. So I think Ben had a great, awesome year. And But just like the offense, they went as he went, and he gets a, a B-plus average for the whole year based on our statistics. But you've got to say that he ended the year really with A-plus performance. But we're grading it on a whole body of work. So that first half of the year uh, knocked him down a little bit. Moving on to Le'Veon Bell. He, he had uh, ranked third in yardage at 1,291. His yards per carry was 4.0, 20, 22nd out of carriers uh, rushing the ball more than 100 times. He had the third most touchdowns with nine. Yeah, that yards per average is what we were really looking at, particularly when he was running the ball up the middle. I mean, when you got the ball him on the perimeter as the season went on, him and Ben kind of had similar trajectories. By the very end of the season, they really turned it on. And like I was about to say, when he was in space, he was making people miss. He did a good job, but just wasn't getting the yards up the middle like he was before and barely creeped his way up to four yards per carry by the end of the season. Uh, that's just not quite high enough, but it doesn't matter because he does so much more than just run the ball, catching the ball, making big plays in the game, incredible blocking, and then just what he brings in terms of defensive um, coordinators having to game plan for him and to account for him. It just it screws with your whole strategy. So he averaged out to an A- minus over the course of the year, and I'd say that's actually pretty accurate for how he played. Which brings us to the king, the royalty of the Steelers, Antonio Brown. 101 receptions, number one in receiving yards with 1,533, and an average per reception of 15.2. Pro Football Focus is number one rated receiver, and anybody with the brains, number one rated receiver. Antonio, obviously, rightfully so, voted the Steelers um, team MVP. I mean, he's the man. Look what he did. And when you factor in particularly the ridiculous amount of clutch catches he made, the ridiculous one to win the game against the, the Packers to put us in field goal range, both of the long ones against the Ravens. He caught another one against the Colts. He just over and over again, the things he did were incredible uh, against the Browns in the first game. He caught a, a, a ridiculous one that nobody should catch. So in addition to the numbers, just the actual quality of the plays, it seemed like there was even more than usual, although it's kind of hard to compare. But while we are comparing, we'll tell you this. After averaging out the whole year, Antonio Brown, for us, averaged out with a grade of A. We look at that and it feels a little fishy because when you're watching the year, it felt like it was kind of an A+, plus, but when you average out our grades, that's what we got to, an A. And, you know, we grade the players, we grade Antonio off of what Antonio is capable of. So it felt fair as we were going on. He basically had an A in every game except for three, and where he had a C+, plus, a C-, minus, and a B-. minus. So what we did was we took a look at his stats for every season, and we compared this year. So... 
obviously he missed three games at the end of the season, which kind of affected him. But if you take the averages of what he produced uh, per game for the season, so like his averages, his average catch per game, yards, touchdowns, and you extrapolate what he would have accrued if he had played the rest of the three games, he's actually almost exactly tied with his best season ever, which was that 2015 year where he had a whopping 136 catches. That was like top five all time, uh, 1,800 yards and 10 touchdowns. He would have basically duplicated that. So now that we actually look at the statistics, and especially when you couple it with the clutch plays that we were talking about, he actually probably should have gotten an A-plus for the season. And once again, we gave him an A, and uh, it was just based off of what he what he did. So I, I don't think that we graded him poorly. It's just maybe, you know, it's not like we gave him a B, but it does look like he deserved the A-plus. A-plus. Moving on to the rest of the wide receivers, Juju Smith-Schuster and Martavis Bryant. Eli Rogers as well, but mostly ah, Juju Martavis. Obviously, the big story, there are two big stories about that. The huge disappointment of Martavis Bryant, who did come on late in the season to really provide some, I'm not going to say depth, but just some solid plays, although never really reaching the highs that he did from before. Let's hope he can do better next year. And then the second story is how awesome Juju Smith-Schuster was. They really turned it on at the end of the year, especially in those three games when AB was gone, when boys became men, boys to men, if you will. And they kind of disappeared except for that glorious catch that Marty made in the Jaguars game. And, uh, but, but overall, they did a good job uh, on the opposite side of Antonio Brown. They averaged out to a grade of B plus for the year, and I think that's pretty accurate. Moving on to the offensive line. The uh, offensive line did an excellent job of uh, and Ben protection, ben allowing protection. only only twenty four sacks, six best in the league. Uh, production run production was a bit down, but notably, David DeCastro earned Pro Football Focus's number one rating for offensive lineman this year. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, you can't take the PFF stuff as science, but it's definitely a good indication. And DeCastro did had an awesome have an awesome year. He didn't miss a single snap and he didn't allow a single sack. So huge year for DeCastro. Great for the line. The one negative thing we will say about them is that run average, we're gonna take Le'Veon's run average since he took almost every carry, you know, basically barely four four yards a carry. That's a little bit down. Maybe some of that's on them, maybe some of that's on Le'Veon, but they averaged out to a grade of B plus and once again, I'd say for their standards, that's pretty accurate. But I, I'd probably give them an A if I were able to just look at the whole body of work because they were incredibly reliable. And especially Ben Watch, Ben Protection was uh, very effective, if you will. So the tight ends, it uh, Jesse somewhat disappeared and was overshadowed by the emergence of Vance McDonald this year. Yeah, well, so take, Jesse... Taking, Taking Ladarius Screen's place on the concussion protocol. Yeah, there's got to be some guy, right? So Vance, when he played, that's a huge bright spot for the Steelers going forward. And next year, he played basically half the time. It was kind of the Ladarius Green effect. Um, but when he played, he was very effective. I mean, you saw him go over 100 yards on 10 catches in that that final game. You saw what the possibilities could be. He was a great run blocker. We know Jesse James is not a starting tight end, but... I thought he filled in well, and he actually had a couple games. I think he had a 100-yard game, and um, they they did well 
helming an undermanned position, but you know, you'd like a little more production out of them. They averaged grade to uh, they averaged out to a B. And uh, I think if Vance had played a couple more games, I would have voted for an A minus or something like that. But that's basically what they get. They're just kind of they kind of disappear a lot during those Steelers games. So it seems fair to me that they got the B. So the offensive coordinator, formerly known as Todd Haley, now the recently departed Todd Haley, you know what is an exciting offense this year? A lot of creativity, a lot of maddening uh, stubbornness, dogmatism, as we said last week. But all in all, hard to argue with the results from this year. Hard to, results, to argue with the results from any year with him, right? So I, I really hope they are able to match the creativity that he had while he was in Pittsburgh. I mean, getting Levy on the ball, getting AP the ball, finding ways to get the new guys involved. And like we said, the sheer volume of shovel passes is nothing short of admirable. He got himself a grade of A-, and I got to totally agree with that. Uh, third-ranked offense in the whole NFL, and an A- in this day and age gets you fired. So here we are. Well, let's shift over to the defense, and I had a couple statistics about that. As we all know, they led the league in sacks with 56, and I think you have a commentary on that. You're not yeah, a believer. you can't take it away from them. I mean, first is really high. Obviously, they chased a lot of sacks in that in that last game of the season, which kind of bumped them up the, the list, especially when you're playing Deshaun Kaiser. But listen, I still feel like that, that, that sack statistic is a little misleading. A lot of the sacks the Steelers get are because of these cute stunts and complicated defensive plays, if you will, from the front line. And it, it, it's not so much people just beating their guy one-on-one as much as it is you're trying to confuse the offense. And it's conversely a big reason for why they got gashed for big plays very often, particularly in the run game earlier in the season and then later in the pass game when the guys had all day to throw. So was it worth it to get that number of sacks? I don't know. It uh, doesn't look like it because you didn't get a single one against the crap Jaguars in the last game of the season. And now we're sitting here not previewing the Super Bowl. So, uh, leave well, interestingly, you interestingly, guess the last thing I'll say, sorry, I don't want to interrupt you. You want to see them win the one-on-one matchups next year. Cam Hayward's the only one who wins those. That's what you need going forward. Sorry. Uh, there are several other things I think we need, but I'll, I'll point out that the Steelers were seventh in the league in third, preventing third down conversions at 36%. Good. However, conversely, the red zone, not so good. We, were, uh, we allowed 62% conversion in the red zone. Good for 28th in the league. I vote to bring the bend-don't-break defense back. Yeah, and I don't know how you make those decisions. Maybe it is just playing more conservatively. The, the Patriots somehow managed to, to employ that defense very frequently. Especially this year when they, they knew they didn't have the big talent. They they just listen, that's an indictment on situational football, which is a big indictment on coaching. The the red zone stuff, your offense and your defense, which have really nothing to do with each other at a certain point, they're both bad in that situation. Patriots are always good in those situations. It's one of the most famous things about them. And the Steelers have had their problems with situational football recently, and that really affects uh, reflects on coaching. So Butler and Tomlin, that's what that is. So the defense graded out 
surprisingly to a grade of B minus. And I think once again, it's the product of the tale of two halves of the season. Earlier in the season, we said over and over again, we can't help but give them a good grade because we said the whole year, we suspect that these guys suck. We're just playing even worse people. And it turns out we were right because the instant they started playing good quarterbacks, they got thrashed. Even decent quarterbacks, they got thrashed. But you average out the grades from the whole year and the grades from earlier in the year help them out. So they get a B minus, but I don't think they deserve a B minus. So the defensive line uh, looked looked stout at the beginning of the year and got actually appeared to be getting a lot of penetration. But it's, again, not the way they ended the season, especially the final game. Oh, yeah, invisible. Just got pushed around by a very average offensive line. But Cam Hayward, we'll just mention him. What an awesome season from him. He, now with you know Ryan Shazier's availability up in the air, I mean, he's the only good defensive player they have. I expected a lot more from Stephon Tewitt and Javon Hargrave this year. Uh, they did a, uh, Alu-Alu did a decent job, and, and they were relatively stout, like you said, but you need to see these guys making a few more plays, and it doesn't help that they have no help on the edges. But So they graded out to an A-, and uh, I don't think that's too far off the mark. It is a little surprising to see them at A, but for the most part, they were definitely the most solid group of the defense, uh, most dependable up until the end there. So fair enough. Let's look at the heretofore mentioned inside linebackers, the the unfortunate loss of Ryan Shazier. And I guess this is going to sound repetitive, but uh, it was all downhill after that. Oh, man. Absolutely miserable. I mean, pull a guy off the street like Sean Spence. I mean, you'd like to cut him a break because he came off the couch, but that's that's not the point. He was terrible. Vince is definitely a Robin type player. Vince Williams can do some good things next to Orion Shazier. But man, when you rely on him to be the number one, he just doesn't have the speed to make plays all over the field. He really doesn't. And, and even his power leaves something to be desired for. But they did some good things as well. Obviously, Ryan was fantastic when he was in there. We talked a lot about the, the missed tackles that he had. But man, the big plays and the interceptions and just all the things he covered up for, we now realize just exactly how important he was. And I don't think we doubted him throughout the course of the season, but that's going to be the first round pick. I mean, if it's not the first round pick inside linebacker, I'll be, I'll be very surprised and you can guarantee it'll be the second round pick. I mean, it's a huge need for the Steelers going forward. They graded out thanks to Ryan Shazier's early season heroics to a B. This takes us to the outside linebackers. TJ Watt came out of the gate like a fucking Bronco and it looked like we were going to have the pick of the century and while he did not disappoint this year, he didn't maintain that that level of performance. But you and I harped on Bud Dupree all season. Bud just uh, looked like he had it. He has a single move, and it looks like a question mark. And they <laughs> put those long arms floating in the ear. Uh, very ineffective. Acknowledging that those guys had to drop back a lot, but yeah. really, uh, I just didn't. The, the penetration. They're just not enough getting to the quarterback. Oh man, we are we are the Bud Dupree haters on this podcast. It makes me feel bad. I love he him. He's like a, nice a cool guy. dude. He seems like a Great cool hair. guy. I mean, he looks like an Adonis, cool hair. But man, he just can't even. He can't get by anybody. And, and like we said over the course of the season, what do you have? Six sacks. That's terrible. But none of them. He, he didn't beat his man on any of them. And T.J. Watt beat his man on on, on one or two, but. 
they leave a lot to be desired for. So I guess that it kind of surprises me when we see that they graded out to a B. Um, I guess it doesn't describe that much because they weren't terrible until the end of the season. When I think they kind of wore down. And there's word that Bud Dupree had a shoulder injury, which which definitely would make that position difficult. But but still, I mean, he really has no moves. I might grade them more down to a C plus at at, at this point when I'm looking back on it. It's kind of like they're they're not horrible. They're just a little bit above average. I would agree with you. If the coverage had been a little better, maybe they could maintain the B or B minus, but. Even dropping back in coverage, that that middle of the field was still wide open. Yeah, and the flats. Uh, I mean, just look at the, the flats. Look are, at the, yeah. the 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 Jaguars game, which I do think was mainly coaching because there was nobody there. So that that's not really a result of like a guy trying to chase like Bud or TJ not being able to catch up to a guy. That's that's. Uh, I was gonna say Dick LeBeau, and now I wish we had Dick LeBeau there. That's Keith Butler just designing a stupid defense that nobody understands. Well, they can but. they can blame him for their downgrade. So we'll move on to the cornerbacks, and um, actually a higher grade than I would have thought if you would ask me to guess. <laughs> yeah, corners. Uh, this grade's pretty pretty fair, I'd say. They got a C. They're just right at the average, maybe a little bit below average for the whole NFL, and it's just. It really comes down to Artie Burns surrendering a 50-yard touchdown every week. And then Joe Hayden even had a couple blown assignments there. But there's some athleticism. But, man, the production. What did they have? Two interceptions all year? Hayden had that one against Cincinnati. And the Texans threw Artie that one in the like second-to-last freaking game of the season. The Mike Hilton might have had a, a couple. But, man... Just no production from those guys. They don't tackle particularly well, and they don't. They leave a lot to be desired. But I still have hope that they can improve, being that Artie Burns was always considered a developmental pick, really more of a second- or third-round guy who got drafted in the first round because of his athleticism. But, man, they leave a lot to be desired. We will say the bright spot is the silver bullet, Mike Hilton, who had a bunch of sacks and uh, actually graded out pretty well. I don't know what he graded in pro football focus, but he did a pretty good job. Uh, as a slot cornerback. Well, surprisingly, Artie Burns graded out good uh, in the good range in pro football focus with an 80.8, if that means anything to anybody. Yeah, I'm I mean, sure it's it just situational. Like I said, I mean, when you play Deshaun Kaiser a couple times a year, fine, but in every major game, he gives up a 40, 50 yard touchdown. I mean, but you're right. Uh, Mike Helton that's why can't trust him out. He did? Yeah. It's relative relative rating. Hilton came out yeah. a little better. I'm just surprised they both came out in the green area. I mean, what do you expect? It's the Steelers and corners. When was the last time they could have above a C plus? Maybe when Ike was there for a couple of years, but terrible corners. It's just a tradition. So did we say cornerbacks C? Yeah, they got a C. Yeah. So moving on to our final positional grade uh, for safeties. It got way worse as the season went along. Man, they just, you know, Mike Mitchell, he may or may not be on the team next year based on his contract. He has one more year. It's going to be a big contract hit. But the guy, he's just the definition of average. He's very, he's much maligned by the Pittsburgh fan base. But honestly, he really has no range. Again, just the speed of him. He doesn't have the speed to go up and make plays. And he's not crushing guys in the middle of the field like he used to. So, 
he had a bit of a down season. I'm sure he was playing injured all the time. That's what he does. And then Sean Davis, he behind behind Bud Dupree is our other dog. The guy the just Swift, does Swiffer. nothing but missed tackles. Yeah, nothing but missed tackles. He's one that I got to worry about. That sucks because we were so high on him his rookie year. He got rookie of the year for the Steelers. But he regressed. He took a step backwards this year and then got emasculated by Gronkowski and a couple other guys in man coverage. I mean, they, they got to fi- figure out what his duty is. I don't, I don't he's know what he's alone in to that do. category. Yeah, I don't blame him for not being able to cover Gronk, but I mean, it was particularly embarrassing. I, I do still blame Butler for that. Why are you going to put one guy on Gronk? But I digress. Well, we, get- we actually have a moment to talk about Butler in a second here, but I'll give the the safeties graded out to C+. Plus. Seems relatively accurate. Probably a C, maybe. But like I said, if you're within a plus or a minus, I'd say that the system is not too flawed. So moving us on to Keith Butler, for me, the most confounding grade of all. <laughs> yeah. We gave Keith Butler a B minus. Yeah. I don't know. Again, it's tale of two halves of the season. We couldn't help but give him good grades earlier. And I will say that we mentioned that earlier in the season. That his good grades were a result of, like, well, we just can't give him anything else. I mean, he played a, a toddler at quarterback that doesn't have any wide receivers that with a team that doesn't totally understand the concept of the forward pass. But, hey, we didn't surrender many points, so I can't really dock him that badly. There just weren't many opportunities that were taken advantage of. I guess at the end of the year, what he did, Packers... He had a C, B against the Bengals, D against the Ravens, C against the Patriots. He got an A against the Texans because we couldn't, you know, it was 34 to 6. But I, I, I do have to call us out there because we got run all over in that game. And then obviously D minus against the Browns and an F against the Jags. So if you ask me now, I'm at code red alert with that guy. I'm at a D plus with that guy. Yeah, have to agree. That, that I mean, they B-. can't stop anyone. You can't rely on them to stop anybody. So we got to call ourselves out there. We were definitely – that was probably the biggest miss we had. Okay, final grade is for Mike Tomlin. Mike T, Coach T, 13-3, and three, a lot of gut check, amazing wins. Listen, here's the positive thing I'll say for Mike Tomlin all year, which is this team traditionally – with Mike Tomlin, and we'll see what happens next year. Let's hope that he doesn't revert back to the old ways. Every year they lose two games that they shouldn't lose, and that's why they end up going 10-6 and, and six and 11-5. and five. Now, obviously, they shouldn't have lost the Bears game, right? But they won a couple of games that they shouldn't have won. I think there was just a culture of winning that was developed that the team was flying high off of during the season. And, hey, you get them that far, that's great, but what a colossal, historic failure in that playoff game. That's going to haunt Steelers fans forever. What a huge opportunity the Steelers had. They still would have had to go through the Patriots, and that's not a guaranteed thing by any means. But, man, to go out like that, that's a sour taste. And to to have the defense just regress and get worse as the season went along while the offense got better, that's that's not great. Right. He didn't have enough he didn't have enough time to watch both sides of the ball. Damn it. He's only one man. What can he do? But yeah, I mean, over the course of the season, he he, he had he made a good team. And he graded out for us at a grade of B plus. And I'd say that's probably plus. pretty fair. Especially he just has such a talent for, for people and for being a leader of men and 
it seems like the constant soap opera distractions that the Steelers had would sink any other team, but it has literally no effect on how they play. He just has them edgy. It's edgy enough so that they haven't have some hardcore attitude to them, but they're still having fun. And it's just a, a, a good nature for the team. And they seem loose a lot of, uh, once the second half of the season kind of came around and, two-week break happened before the Jaguars game, and they seem very tight before they loosen up. So you got a B-plus, I'd say it's accurate. We're going to go to the last segment, a special segment, the awards, the Steelers Outpost Awards for the year. we like to give a little shout-out to Andre over there, who is, uh, this segment is a partial inspiration from him, something we're going to keep going forward in a little bit of a different medium once we get into the next season. But we're going to start... With, um, with something else. We're going to start with the first category, which is the emerging star. So we want each of you to imagine the emerging star. We'll give you five seconds. Who is it? Who could we'll it be? tell the votes. Is it Barry? It's not Barry. Nick, would you open the envelope, please? Yes. Okay, I have the results here. My God, it's a tie. I've never seen anything like this since Steve McNair and Peyton Manning tied for the MVP. Somebody call the dad from Deloitte. I think there's a mistake. My goodness gracious, there's no mistake here. The the emerging star goes to Juju Smith-Schuster, Leda, and Mike the Silver Bullet Hilton. Great job, boys. Congratulations. Check your mail. Your plaque will be waiting for you. It is homemade. This is my favorite category, the unsung hero. Uh, these guys went a little under the radar. I think all of our listening audience knows who they are, but uh, mm-hmm. maybe the rest of uh, NFLdom would not have recognized them had not not been for this auspicious award we're going to proffer. Yeah, I'd say we we thought of Mike Hilton kind of for that one, but really anybody who knows the Steelers know that that guy wasn't an unsung hero. He he played a big part in the season. We want to talk about somebody who may have not realized had a great season. If we were doing the podcast last year, I would have given it given it to Rosie Nix. Okay, and he we will say Rosie gets the honorable mention for this year. But the guy who wins unsung hero for this year, Andre, is Chris Hubbard, backup right tackle. Let's give it up for Chris Hubbard. He started about half of the games and he did excellent. There was a certain point of the season where he was good for one sack a game. That was a little frustrating. But man, he really held the standard together for that offensive line. And like you always say, you didn't notice him which is the best thing. He did some great things in run blocking, and he really shored that pass blocking up. And it's such a luxury when you have a star player go down or get suspended for doing steroids or something like Marcus Gilbert did. PEDs, I know. To have another guy step in and you don't have to beat, that's a huge thing. So, great. I don't know if he's going to be on the team next year, actually. I think he's going to get a contract somewhere else. He's a free agent. But, yeah, great season by Chris Hubbard. A lot of people might not know that. And finally, we're going to give the Most Valuable Player Award. I think you're going to be surprised at our choice. Yeah. Envelope, please. Stand by. It's written in some sort of goldenrod cursive. Some some flair to this one. Some style. Actually, the name is actually wearing a leather jacket studded with 24 karat gold. It's Antonio Brown, people. Maybe he gets it. 
Great job, baby. <laughs> Would have never seen that coming. Ben had a great second of the year. You can always give it to the quarterback when your team does this well, especially with his second half. But, man, A.B. put him on his back, though. Put the team Dr. on his Clutch. back. It's amazing. He deserves it. He gets it. So there you are. That's about it, There's huh? our recap yeah. for, the, for the season. You know, it'd be really interesting to get some feedback, get some feedback from the audience to see whether you agree, disagree, have a difference of opinion or a different perspective. You can talk to us. Send us an email at SteelersOutpost at Gmail. Hit us up on Twitter at SteelersOutpost. Or go to the website and leave a comment. Guess where that is? www.steelersoutpost.com. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And I'm not going to say go Eagles, but I will say let's hope the Patriots lose this week. All right, everybody, thanks for joining us. We will talk to you again next week. Okay, bye-bye. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Searching for NBA playoff coverage? We've got you. The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, gives you an inside look into the world of sports. Hosted by former NBA sharpshooter and Duke legend J.J. Redick and sports writer Tommy Alter, The Old Man and the Three offers unprecedented access to the league. Tommy and J.J. discuss the NBA and interview some of the biggest names in the league, like Devin Booker and Luka Doncic. NBA final season is the perfect time to dive in, and you can listen to The Old Man and the Three wherever you get your podcasts. To hear episodes brought to you by BMW. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine.